1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, and we read through verse 15. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, you do put, yes, do put up with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now, I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I didn't burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I kept myself and I will keep and I will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves. No great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word, and right here we see the marks of a true apostle, a true worker, a true minister of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to discern those marks in the days ahead, to lead us and guide us by your word, by your spirit, to who you would call to be the next pastor of Richland Baptist Church. Lord, we pray also that you would help us to see these marks as not only marks of a great minister, but also the marks of an, an authentic church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do these things in our hearts. Speak to us today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's become popular today for uh, people to uh, take selfies. <laughs> and oftentimes people will, uh, you know, take selfies at the most random of times, like, uh, right, like right now. <laughs> there we go. Everybody smile. I didn't say everybody smile. Everybody smile. All right, there we go. Now, why did I just do that? Well, it's because here in this passage, Paul, who typically is very camera shy, who doesn't talk about himself very much, doesn't highlight his own experience very much, doesn't really put himself in front of the camera very much. Most of the time, he is, he is highlighting the churches, he's highlighting the issues, he's highlighting the gospel, he's highlighting all of these things. But here in this passage, just briefly, just momentarily in chapter 11 and chapter 12, Paul says, I'm going to engage in a little bit of foolishness here. He calls it foolishness. I'm going to engage in a little bit of foolishness here, and I am going to 
turn the camera on myself for a moment so that you can see the marks of true ministry, so that you can see the marks of a true apostle in, in, in contrast to the marks of what he calls super apostles or the pseudo apostles or the false apostles that are exalting themselves and preaching a gospel that is not aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here in this passage, we see Paul, who is camera shy, coming in front of the camera and saying, these indeed are the attributes of a true apostle, and they separate a true apostle from the pretender, true ministers of God from pretender ministers of God, true authentic churches from pretender inauthentic congregations. And as the photograph is developed here in this chapter, we see three characteristics of the true apostle. And I think we can apply these characteristics to our lives in this day as well, especially for Richland Baptist Church at this moment, at this particular juncture. It's critical for us to understand what are the marks of a true minister of God's. And let the marks from Scripture guide you and guide us in discerning where it is that we are to go and you're to go into the future. And then not only that, but also these marks of an authentic minister are the same marks of an authentic church, an authentic congregation. There's not a distinction between what a minister ought to be like and what a congregation ought to be like. Oh no, those are one in the same because they are headed in the same direction with the same call, with the same gospel, with the same Christ and the same spirit, one God and Father over all. And so here in this passage, I want you to see the biblical marks, the biblical qualities of an authentic church, an authentic leader that should lead you and guide you in discerning God's direction in the future. The first mark of an authentic church or an authentic minister is this, he stands firm for doctrinal purity. And a congregation who is authentic stands firm for doctrinal purity. Doctrine matters. There's a movement that has gone through the churches and is somewhat still going through the churches of, of watering it down, watering down the message. Let's make sure the Sunday message is palatable for everybody. That way it doesn't offend anybody. That way it makes sure that, that, that nobody gets uptight about what the pulpit preaches or what we preach as a church. Or maybe we can hide the doctrine in the, in the background or hide it in the life groups or hide it in special classes that you can take. Oh, no, 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 no. That kind of teaching, that kind of of gospel, that kind of ministry is not God honoring, and it's not honoring to his words. Paul here in Second in Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, he is warning and battling against this very thing. He says to the Corinthian church that doctrine matters. And false doctrine is a satanic lie that will send you to hell. Now, what is doctrine? Doctrine has kind of gotten a bad rep here in the last few years. Well, I'm not really about doctrine. I'm about, you know, just love and kumbaya and stuff, you know. <laughs> That's not what we're called to be about. Just love, 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 share, 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 right? <laughs> and so... Jackson and I, uh, uh, he knows what I'm talking about there. <laughs> and he shook his head at me. Dad, don't do that. <laughs> so... 
What is he talking about here? He says, false doctrine is a satanic lie that will send you to hell. What is doctrine? Doctrine simply simply means what the Bible teaches about a particular topic. What the Bible teaches about a particular topic, that is doctrine. And so we have the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the fall, the doctrine of salvation, the biblical teachings about God, about Christ, about heaven, about hell, all of these realities. And Paul is saying, all of it matters. All of it matters. And we as a church must value doctrinal teaching, biblical teaching, standing on the word of God and what the Bible says about a particular topic, not giving into the spirit of the age that seeks to water down what we believe and just kind of meld it in with some kind of syncretic, everybody bring their own faith to the church. And then eventually the church becomes about nothing. And then the church begins to close. We must stand on the truth of the gospel. The Corinthian church was headed down a road where doctrine was about to be compromised and was being compromised. How serious is doctrinal compromise? Look at verse 2. In verse 2 he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband, to present a pure virgin to Christ. Now, what Paul is doing here in this verse is reaching out to a custom in that particular day. And that day there was a marriage custom. The marriage customs of those days was when a couple was to be married, for the first year they would actually be betrothed together. You remember back in, in, in the story of Jesus when Joseph and Mary were betrothed to be married. In that particular year, that betrothal period lasted a year, and the marriage ceremony would happen at the end of that year. In that year, both husband or both future husband and wife, they would keep themselves pure. They would be preparing their home. They would be preparing their livelihood. They would be preparing for that day when they would be married. In that year, they didn't consummate the marriage. They were anticipating that day when they would be officially married. But it was more than an engagement in that, partic- in that time, in the time of the betrothal. The only way you could have your marriage or your betrothal absolved was by divorce. Paul is saying here that he is like a father preparing and presenting his daughter to be presented in purity to Christ on their wedding day when Jesus comes for his church. And so the kind of minister you should seek is one who has this fatherly care for the church as an under-shepherd of God, preaching good doctrine, preaching the Bible faithfully in such a way where he is knowing that he will stand before God to give an account that how he made you ready for that day when you would be you would engage you would be at the marriage supper of the lamb when you are married to Christ as his church but there was a problem the church of Corinth was about to sell out to doctrinal impurity. Look at verse 3. In verse 3 it says, But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
Anytime you hear teaching that does not line up with the Bible, you should hear a familiar hiss behind that teaching. There is a serpentine voice that is preaching false doctrine constantly today. False teaching is going on everywhere today. And what we do as a church, what we do from the pulpit as a church is spiritual warfare where we are combating the ideologies, we are combating the philosophies of the age, and it is critical that we engage in this war, that we engage in this battle. Now, what are the doctrines that Satan is tempting the church to compromise today and in Paul's day? In verse 4, he tells us, he says, For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. So right there, he says the word different three times. He says there's a different Jesus, there's a different spirit, and thirdly, there is a different gospel. Any of those three, he warns, and he says, watch out for this. Watch out for anybody who would preach a different Jesus, a different spirit, or a different gospel. And we see all three of those active today in today's world. What are some false beliefs about Jesus today? I think the first false belief that we see about Jesus today is the Jesus without a body, heresy. The Jesus without a body, heresy. Now, what do I mean by that? It mean, what I mean by that is somebody thinks that you can be a phenomenal Christian and not ever care about God's church and not be a part of God's church. Or perhaps in our particular day to say that, well, online church and e-pastor is equivalent and just as good as physical pastor who will know who I am. <laughs> it's not the same. We should be as horrified about that as if somebody walked in the door that had a body but had no head. <laughs> There's a reason they make horror movies like this <laughs> with disembodied corpses or, or beheaded corpses walking around. And it's terrifying. It's like, no, that ought not to be. So that's creepy, that's wrong. And that's the same thing in this heresy. To think that we can live separated from the head or separated from the body in any way is not authentic Christianity. It's not authentic Christianity to say, well, I like this pastor today, and maybe next week I'll like this one over here that has a better message on the internet, and then I can pick whatever songs I like because I get to pick the band. I want to pick the music. I want to pick the sermon. No, 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 no. That's putting somebody else up as the idol in your life. Commit to a godly church and a pastor who will shepherd your soul. There's other heresies that we see about Jesus today. There's the healthy, wealthy Jesus. That if you just trust in Jesus, it will always all be perfect and you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy and nothing will ever go wrong. Huh? <laughs> just read the Bible, right? <laughs> just read the New Testament. Read the Apostle Paul. You'll see that's simply ridiculous. It's nowhere in the Bible. There's another heresy. The Jesus who votes and you fill in the blank. The Jesus who votes for the donkey. The Jesus who votes for the elephant. The Jesus who votes for neither of the above. What's the problem with that? 
Aren't there political implications for the gospel and for the Bible? Oh, yes, there is. There are. But here, and, and it ought to inform, the Bible ought to inform the way that we vote in a society, especially our society, that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. But here's the particular temptation I see in our day. It's when we put politic, party, and person above the Bible, and we are devoted to person and politic and party above the Scripture, that we are out of line. And our doctrine has gotten off course. It's when we are worshiping a nation, a party, or a system, more or a candidate, more than we are Christ. Christ is first place. He is always above all things. Yes, he informs our vote. Yes, he informs our positions, of course. But be careful that party or politic or politician comes in to replace your love for Christ first and foremost above all. It is a particular temptation in our day, in our culture, in our churches, in our world. There's the Jesus who's just my pal that doesn't tell me to do anything. There's the Jesus with no mission. The Jesus that just says, oh, let's just get together in a nice comfy church and not care about the world that's out there that needs Jesus. Oh, no, no. The Jesus we follow, the last words he gave to the church was go, go into all the worlds and make disciples. That is wrong to not realize Jesus said we ought to have a mission. The Jesus who didn't die for all my sins, so there's a penance to do. There's the unforgiving Jesus. The Jesus that would lead me to follow him, but wouldn't call me to forgive somebody. Wouldn't call me to forgive my brother and sister. You know what unforgiveness is like? Unforgiveness is like taking poison and hoping somebody else gets hurt. It's like taking poison and hoping somebody else is hurt. That is false doctrine to say that Jesus hasn't called us to forgive one another. And then there's the Jesus who does not discipline us in our lives. Have you bought into one of these lies of the devil? Repent. Watch out for these things in your life. Watch out for these things in the church. Watch out for these things in the future. So there's false doctrine about Jesus. There's also false doctrine about the Spirit. False doctrine about the Holy Spirit as well. There's a lot of heretical teachings in the churches today about the Holy Spirit, where the attention is all on the Holy Spirit, and there's all kinds of unusual and strange things, unbiblical things, that people do when they're under the control of the Spirit. But one of the things that we see in clearly in Scripture is that when the Spirit is active in a congregation, the spotlight is not on the Spirit, it's on Christ. The Holy Spirit constantly puts the spotlight squarely and fully on Jesus Christ. But that's not typically our problem in the Baptist church. Our problem typically in most of our churches is not that we're out of control in any way. The problem, the Baptist heresy, is more often that we ignore the Holy Spirit. It's that we ignore our need and dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God for everything because we have degrees, because we have great music, because we have fantastic classes, because we have wonderful air-conditioned buildings, 
because we have the money to draw a crowd, because our budgets are good. But instead, we need to realize that if anything of spiritual significance is to happen in our churches or in our families or our lives or our nation, we must cry out to God and say, there is not anything going to happen unless a move of the Spirit of Almighty God blows across our country and our churches. God, we need you. That should be our heart's cry is a renewed wind and a fresh fire across our churches and across our congregations. A renewed hunger and thirst for righteousness and for a movement of God in our day. We live in a day not unlike Moses when he was told by God after the golden calf episode, God said to Moses, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you Everything I said I'm going to give I said I'm going to give you. Go, Moses, you can have it all. But then God said these devastating words. But I will not go with you. How did Moses respond? Was Moses comfortable having all of the blessings of God and all of the fulfilled promises of God? without having the Spirit of God with him? Don't move too quickly beyond that question. Are are we happy with the promises of God and the blessings of God without the presence of God? What did Moses respond? Moses responded by saying, No, I won't go one more step unless you go with me. Unless you go with us, we're not going to go from this place. We need you, Lord. We need you to be with us. We cannot go to the promised land without our God being there. Oh, God, this is devastating news. God, you must come with us. And he interceded for the people, and God came with the people. We must restore in our hearts a desperate cry for the Spirit of God to work among the people of God. God, work in our churches, blow in our sanctuaries, blow in our hearts, blow in the mission field. Oh, Spirit, wind, blow in our hearts once again. Revive our hearts in the name of Jesus. Now, what happens when you get wrong doctrine about Jesus and wrong doctrine about the Spirit? What do you lose? Third, in verse 4, he says you lose the gospel. You get a wrong doctrine about the gospel. The end game here is you lose the gospel and your church closes. It's ineffective to reach people for Christ. The application here is clear. We need to go deeper into doctrine. We need to believe what God says to believe and then do what God says to do. Drive yourself into deep study of the Word and deep doing of the Word that you studied. Number two, second mark of an authentic church, of an authentic pastor, is this, is that you love one another sacrificially. Love one another sacrificially. Correct doctrine is not enough. A second mark of an authentic pastor, an authentic minister, and an authentic church is love, is love for one another. 
Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 says this, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Doctrine without love is dead orthodoxy. Doctrine without love is dead church. It's dead orthodoxy. You must have a doctrine that leads you to a deep love for one another. The postmodern world can hear that you're talking about something, but they don't believe it if loved is not lived out. If love is not lived out, then the doctrine which is meant to produce love of God and love of neighbor in our lives, great commandments and also book of 1 John, if that is not happening, then the message is nothing. It's meaningless. It's non-transformative in our lives, in our church. In verses 7 through 11, Paul talks about the importance of love in ministering the gospel. And how did Paul demonstrate love to the Corinthian church in this particular passage? He refuses to take a salary from the church. He's co-vocational, he's bivocational, and he makes tents in order to support himself the whole time that he is in that church, the whole time that he's in that congregation. Now, it's important to realize that one of the marks of a minister isn't that he just, that you don't have to pay him, because later on in the book of Corinthians, he talks about that. He says, you ought to pay your pastor, right? (laughs) So that's not the point that he's making here. It's the same book that he makes that he also says to the church, you ought to pay your ministers, because the workman who treads out the grain is worthy of his wages. Says that later in the book of Corinthians. So that's not his that's not his point. His point is love. Why did he refuse to accept money from the Corinthians, but he accepted it from the Macedonians, like he said there in that passage? The reason is he loved them and he wanted to make sure nothing got in the way of the gospel. Because in that day, in the in the city of Corinth, in that region of Achaia, in that particular day, it was very common for speakers to get sponsors. They would sell ads in their messages. And so that was normal in that day. And so people would get up in, the, in that culture on the stages where they would hear the flossers, where they would hear the speakers speak. And in the middle of their message, in the middle of their talk, they would say, oh, and by the way, this speech has been brought to you by Brother Jeff's uh, jet boat racing fuel. <laughs> And if you go buy Brother Jeff's jet boat racing fuel next year at the Follies, I guarantee you're going to (laughs) win. Now back to our story. (laughs) And so the people who would give the money in that culture, the people who would give the money to the messenger to preach the message or to speak the message, it wasn't the gods, it was just anybody who spoke in that culture, all the Greek did this, they would have influence to influence the message, to tweak it to their satisfaction. (laughs) Do you see what Paul is fighting against here? He's saying, look, look, I want to preach to you the true gospel. And why does he want to preach the full, the true gospel? Even though like in verse 9, he says, I was in need. I didn't tell you about it. Why did he do this? Look in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Because I don't love you. God knows that I do. God knows that I do. As your pastor, I love every single one of you. And I had to pray deeply about 
the Lord's leading in this season of life. Lord, where do you want me to go? This, this is crazy. <laughs> and I sought the Lord about it. Let me encourage you. Find a pastor who deeply loves his people. Deeply loves the word. Deeply loves his people. And at the same time, let me encourage you as a congregation. Deeply love one another and deeply show love to your pastor. You know, one of the things that has been a struggle and not just our church and churches in general over the last few years has been constant this. Masks, no masks. Vaccine, no vaccine. Music, I like this kind. I like that kind. And on and on and on. You know what the Bible says? John chapter 13, Jesus says this. Watch this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, if, by the love that you have for one another. And so, if I were the devil, what would be my end-time play to make sure that nobody in the world knew that you were Christ's disciples? What would I make sure stopped? Love. The love that you have for one another. Satan's play in this end-time game is this. If he can get you to fussing at one another and to conflicting with one another and fighting with one another, the more the merrier. Why? Because then the world will not know you are his disciples. And that is why you can have all the right doctrine in the world, but if you have not love, you are a clanging symbol. Now, I'm not saying we don't have it. I think we do. But I am saying this, is that you can grow in this as a church. Let me encourage you in one other way of how you can love your pastors and how you can love your future pastor. Make sure that he hears you praying for him more than he hears you criticizing. Make sure that he hears you praying more than he hears you criticizing. Make sure Scott and Travis and BJ hear your voice, not text, not email, your voice, your presence in their office, your voice on the phone. Pastor, I love you and I just want to pray for you. They need to hear that. And when they don't hear it, the silence is deafening. Make sure that you pray for your pastor as an expression of love and find a pastor who has a prayer bench that will spend time on his knees praying for you regularly. My goodness, pray, love, love, and pray. All right, number one is true doctrine. Number two, love one another. Love one another. Number three is this, and it follows from the first two, share the gospel with boldness and winsomeness. 
That word winsome has been under attack today, and I use it very carefully and advisedly. I think it's a good word. We should be winsome in our love for Jesus, our love for the gospel, our love for people, and our love for one another. In verses 12 through 15, Paul once again says, look, guys, you've got to watch out for these false apostles. But how is he going to combat that? In verse 12, he says, I will continue to do what I'm doing. I will continue to do what I am doing. And that is spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was what he wants to put on full display in the midst of a world of confusion, in the midst of a world today of postmodernism. We need to put the gospel on full display. We see that the gospel, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, evangelizing the gospel, sharing the gospel with people, that that is spiritual warfare. Why? Because there are other voices out in the world speaking in this culture. Has been all the way since the beginning of time. Has been that way since the time of Adam and Eve. And Satan spoke into the world and spoke into the human culture. Even though the culture was just two people, he spoke into their culture and messed everything up. And Satan is a very good preacher. He's a very good preacher. He gave an invitation to Eve. Eve came forward. Adam came forward. They ate and they fell. And we see the same thing happen today in a generation. Listen, Satan does not come to you with hooves and pentagrams and pitchforks and black masses. What is his objective? His objective is to come to you as an angel of light. His objective is to come to you disguised as something that feels good, that looks good, that sounds good, yet will take away the blessing of God in your life and the power of the gospel. The book of Revelation says the devil is the accuser of the brothers. He's constantly accusing us. I know who you are. I know what you've done. You might as well give up. How could God love someone like you? And yet we must put him in his place because we are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 30, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. And if you are in Christ, because you're in Christ, the devil has no claim on you either. And so people in Christ, church in Christ, take the doctrine, take the love of God, get out into the world and share the gospel with the lost. Share the gospel with people who desperately need to know that there is a Savior who died. He rose again from the grave. He is, gives eternal life full and free to anyone who would trust in Him as Savior and Lord. That is the good news of the gospel. We have a message to share with the world boldly and winsomely that Jesus saves. And so, be a church that values gospel sharing. And not only says we value gospel sharing, we go out there and share the gospel. Share it in your neighborhoods. Share it in your families. Share it in your workplace. Share it in your school. Share it with your life. Be bold in your proclamation of the gospel. So here in this passage where Paul takes a selfie of himself, we see the marks of a true minister and the marks of a, an authentic church. What are they? Number one, right doctrine. Stand on the word. The word above all. The word of God is our guide. Secondly, not in any order of importance, but all of first importance. Secondly, is love. Love one another. Thirdly, 
be about bringing the gospel to this area and this world. Let's pray together. Let's examine our hearts to see where we are with these realities. Let's pray for our church, pray for the future. And if you need to come here and pray up to the front, I encourage you to come too. Let me pray. Then we'll take a moment of silence and then we'll sing our response. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, you are so good to us. And Lord, I thank you for the awesome privilege that it has been to be able to preach here and to love here and to care here for the last five years. And Lord, I pray for the future of our church, for all of us, myself included. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be about the true faith, standing on the word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love one another. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be about sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray for my self first. And Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. Lord, I know there are times in my life where I have not lived out the gospel accordingly or maybe not even shared the fullness of the gospel. Lord, I pray your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for not loving like I should or for not sharing the gospel like you've called me to or even following the Spirit's leading in that always. Lord, I pray for all of us. Lord, you'd help us to repent of times when we have fallen short and recognizing that your Spirit forgives by your grace through the blood of Jesus. You forgive, you give grace, and you empower for obedience in the future. Lord, I thank you for RBC. Lord, I pray that your blessings be upon it in the days ahead. Use it powerfully and mightily as a lighthouse in the Northwest. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.